welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a YA or young adult literature podcast, their filmic adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And we are doing a special holiday edition because we've gotten our act together and this is going to drop on Christmas Day. Merry happy, everyone. Exactly. I was just about to say, (laughs) we should call this a holiday episode, despite the fact that we're dropping it on Christmas because we are non-denominational. We are aggressively (laughs) non-denominational. As I feel like people are quickly discovering the more that we talk about some of these books. (laughs) It's true. So yeah, we thought we'd put together a little list of some of our favorite representations of the holiday season in YA media. These don't strictly fit our parameters of adaptation for the most part. So we've got some books, we've got some films, we've got some TV. Just some ideas for you to pick up if you've got a few days off between now and New Year's, things you might want to check out. Yeah, seasonally appropriate. (laughs) Indeed. And I think Joe is going to start us off. I am. Okay, so when Brenna proposed this to me, I thought, okay. Um, (laughs) Not because I'm not excited by it, but because I anticipated having a bit of difficulty coming up with a couple of different examples. But I settled on a couple of different options that I'm mostly happy with. And the first one that I'm going to focus on is a YA book called Dash and Lily's Book of Dares by David Levi. Levithan and Rachel Cohn. Have you read this? I have not, but I always also want to call him David Leviathan, so I'm glad that you did that too, because I do it every time. <laughs> now I can't even edit it out and say face. <laughs> so Mr. Leviathan has written this. Um, actually, I have a feeling we'll see him on the podcast at a future date because he's had at least one adaptation of his independent book. I really like his stuff. I just really like his voice, but I've never read this one. To be honest, I had a vague recollection of this book and I didn't remember at all that it took place over the holiday season until I started to do a little bit of research. A lot of the times if you look up YA and holiday or YA and Christmas, you end up getting a lot of books that are explicitly about the holidays. So I like this option because it's centered around the holidays, but it's not integral to the storyline. So it builds on the idea of good feelings and people having a little bit more time off. But essentially the the log line is Lily has a red notebook filled with challenges and she accidentally or somewhat purposely leaves it on a bookstore shelf in the hope that someone will find it and complete the various challenges which will lead them to her. And so you follow both characters as they kind of go through this day. It's got a good scavenger hunt feel to it which is very much appealing to me because I love the idea of games and riddles and things that need to be solved but at the end of it it's just it's a very charming run around New York and if you've read or seen Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist it's by the same people and it's got that very similar vibe to it. I really love the fact that David Levithan does so much co-writing with so many different people. I think that's probably the most interesting thing about him because it means that every one of his books has sort of a different flavor and voice. Uh, So it's neat to see him revisiting a relationship Mm -hmm. that he's worked in before with this one. I'm going to check it out for sure. Yeah, and having... I can't remember if I've... I don't think I've read Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, but I've seen the movie, and I completely imagine it 
working for this particular book. And I was actually very disappointed when I was looking it up to see that it's been optioned as a film, but it's languishing in development hell. Oh, interesting. And a theme that matches my first pick, which is languishing in development hell. Because um, my first pick is Let It Snow, which is also a co-write, but a little bit different. It's uh, John Green, Maureen Johnson, and Lauren Miracle. And it's three novellas set in the same community at Christmas time. I think specifically on Christmas Eve, the, or at least the climax in each story happens on Christmas Eve. And they're all interconnected. They're standalone stories, but the characters interconnect and are obviously part of the same little universe. And so there's this massive snowstorm on Christmas Eve that changes everyone's plans and young adult romance flourishes as a result. Yeah. Um, It's a bit of a shame because the three novellas are not equally strong. Uh. Yeah, the strong... And also a problem that the strongest one starts the collection so it does kind of that's that's a bit of a shame (laughs) it is a shame but they are all worth checking out especially during the holidays they're sweet and funny and warm and i think i have particularly warm feelings about this collection because in christmas 2016 i was too pregnant to travel home to see my family and so i was very homesick and pregnant and sad and couch bound (laughs) and that's when i picked this book up for the first time it was uh as i sort of alluded option for a film in 2014 and actually had the same screenwriter attached as future podcast text the fault in our stars Mm. but there's been no news in 2016 there was a news story saying that it was being pushed to 2017. Obviously, that did not happen. (laughs) Um, But it's a great collection if you... Frankly, if you really like Hallmark Christmas movies, it is in the Hallmark Christmas movie vein of romance set at the holidays. So that's my first pick. That's a good endorsement because we all know that Hallmark Christmas movies are quite popular. And, well, they are inherently problematic. And I'll... (laughs) I'll give myself a plug because I'm hoping to actually write about that in the future. But part of the reason that they're successful is because they do evoke certain types of familiar feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think they play on this idea of having a bit of a fantasy holiday season, which I don't think is exclusive to white, wealthy women, which just happens to be the target market for Hallmark movies. But in terms of books, it's a nice thing to go for. It's like a cozy read. I would say it's cozy. Speaking of Hallmark movies, you know those are all shot in a little town uh, really close to where I live. And it's so weird to walk through that town in the middle of summer because it's always dressed for Christmas (laughs) because that's when they shoot all the Hallmark movies. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, are you going to spot Danica McKellar in a toque? You might. You never know. Fingers (laughs) crossed. Uh, Okay, so I think we're going to jump media, and we both got film and television picks coming up. So my second pick, it's a bit of a stretch, I'm not going to lie, (laughs) but one of the things that I always equate with Christmas and YA is actually the 2004 Mark Waters film written by Tina Fey, Mean Girls. And although the film takes place over an entire academic year at a high school, the adaptation of the nonfiction 2002 bestseller Queen Bees and Wannabes by Rosalind Wiseman, I think it's almost best known for its disastrous, uh, iconic Jingle Bell Rock 
holiday pageant sequence. (laughs) So good. For those of you who don't know, Lindsay Lohan, she's been homeschooled and her family lived in Africa, so she's navigating the treacherous waters of high school. She falls in with the mean girl crowd who are led by Rachel McAdams, and she's essentially told that she must participate in this dance number, which is typically only done with three girls and not four, and causes all kinds of chaos as a result. But it's a very comedic sequence. I think it's just, it's a good synopsis of the entire film Mm. in a single sort of bite-sized package. And it always makes me giggle because Amy Poehler as the mom who just can't help but get up and integrate herself into the number because she's living vicariously through her daughter. It plays so well to her comedic strength. I love that movie and I totally didn't remember it having anything to do with Christmas until I read your notes for today's episode and then I watched that scene again on YouTube and it's so good. It's adorable. And of course it just got reappropriated by Ariana Grande in her new video. So it's so topical. We're so topical. <laughs> so true. Uh, what have you got for number two? Okay, so I am I'm revisiting Dawson's Creek with my pick here. And jeez. Oh, <laughs> I'm revisiting particularly the troubled and frankly quite bad season six of Dawson's Creek (laughs) because the Christmas special, so there were only ever two Christmas episodes during Dawson's Creek. There was a two-parter in season four, which was way too earnest for everyone's own good. And then there was Merry Mayhem in season six. It involves the irrepressible Busy Phillips as Audrey, who takes a bunch of random pills that she finds in Jen's grandmother's medicine cabinet. This is just before her sort of rehab arc that comes later in that season. I'm Um, so excited. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm so scared. Oh, wait, no, that's the wrong one. (laughs) But good Saved by the Bell callback. There's never a wrong time for that. Yeah, so she takes a bunch of pills and then she ends up at the Christmas dinner table and she tells everyone what she really thinks of them, which is kind of what everybody else has been really thinking about these people for the last six years. She Including calls the out, viewers? Oh, totally. She calls out the Joey Dawson dynamic. She calls out Pacey's inability to move on from his relationship with Joey. Uh, sort of all the exhausting <laughs> motifs of the show. Audrey's character gets to call out in this great scene. She also calls them all scum suckers, which is possibly the best moment in the episode and then so good she leaves nobody tries to stop her and she drives pacey's bmw into the house as one does don't do drugs kids (laughs) christmas dinner as our listeners will know i unabashedly love dawson's greek uh problems and all and this episode it's just to me it's what the holidays are all about a random friend you brought home against your will taking a bunch of drugs in your grandmother's medicine cabinet and then (laughs) destroying your home with a bmw merry christmas everyone What could be better? (laughs) Well, I'm going to stick on the TV beat, and it's actually very funny. So we had produced these lists independently of one another, and yet you're presenting Dawson's Creek, and I'm presenting the 2000s version of Dawson's Creek by bringing up the OC's Christmas episode, otherwise known as the best Christmaca ever. (laughs) So this is from 2003, and it's written by the showrunner Stephanie Savage. And essentially, this is the OC equivalent of Seinfeld's uh, Festivus episode, which is one of the main guys on the show, Seth Cohen. You either love him or you hate him, but he's essentially the Dawson's Creek answer in the OC universe. And 
he decides that he's going to show their sort of new addition to the family, Ryan, who has been in and out of foster families. And, you know, his brother is in jail. His mother is either an alcoholic or a drug abuser. or She's just she's not available, which is why he's staying with this mixed denominational family. So the mother is white and Christian, he calls her waspy in the episode, which she takes offense to, but it's so true. (laughs) And then the father, Sandy, is Jewish, so he combines the best of both holidays. So you get eight days of little gifts and then one day of massive gifts, and it's called Chrismica. And of course, the episode centers around giving Ryan the holiday that he had never experienced because he's never had a family that actually cares about him or is there for him. But in the process, they also create this fantastic idea of a a mixed religious holiday that embodies the best of both. (laughs) I never watched The O.C. You're making me kind of want to. It's actually super adorable, particularly the first season, which is an abbreviated season that debuted in the summer. So it was like a hot flash of amazing wit and, you know, summer nonsense in the truest sense of YA television. And then it goes completely off the rails as the seasons go on, much (laughs) in the way that Glee does. They all do. Was it a WB show, the OC? Uh, yes. No, it's Fox. Oh, okay. I just automatically know I'm going to like anything that WB made in the 90s or 2000s. So I always ask. Okay, my last pick is My True Love Gave to Me, edited by uh, Stephanie Perkins. So this is a collection of 12 holiday-themed short romance stories. There's kind of a romance theme, obviously, for my picks, because I like YA romance, if you don't count my Dawson's Creek, which is the opposite of romance. Um, (laughs) What I like about this collection is it's diverse enough that it includes Kwanzaa and Hanukkah stories. Um, There are several authors of color included in the collection, and it's not exclusively heterosexist in its relationship or romance pairings, which makes it basically a unicorn (laughs) for the YA sphere. Incredibly rare. Yeah, especially for holiday-themed content, right? Which, as we've already pointed out, tends to be super, super, super white. So this collection includes stories by heavy hitters like Rainbow Rowell, Jenny Han, who we already looked at her to all the boys I've loved before on the show, Matt De La Pena, and Lainey Taylor. Lainey Taylor does a lot of interesting stuff with demons. And, um, yeah, like, what if demons existed in now Hmm. kind of writer and so the collection has a nice even combination of diversity and sort of styles of writing it's not just a straightforward realist romance and it's just a reliable frothy little collection none of the stories are more than i don't know 20 or 25 pages it goes really well with a mug of cocoa Um, and it's a nice to if you found this podcast because you like a particular style of young adult literature and maybe you're interested in exploring what else is out there It's actually a really great collection for introducing you to a bunch of different interesting voices. And I think pretty much everyone in the collection has a pretty robust career behind them. So if you found someone in the collection you liked, you'd have a stack of of backlist to go through. So a good one for just curling up on the couch and dipping in and out of. So that's My True Love Gave to Me by Stephanie Perkins or edited by Stephanie Perkins. Nice. Good pick. I like the idea, too, of offering something that people can grab onto one person and then branch out and have just a brand new catalog of books that they can check out. 
Totally. So I picked it up when I was really into Rainbow Rowell, um, and it introduced me to all kinds of authors who I had never encountered before. Um, now that I know more about YA, I realize these are all very famous people, but I didn't when I was first sort of picking it up. So I love it as an intro just to the field in general. It's like a gateway to the YA drug. <laughs> the first one's free. Actually not. I think it's like ten ninety nine in paperback. Uh, that's the other bonus for YA stuff is that it's usually a little bit lower on the... Uh economic scale it's true all right so brenna and i originally talked about doing three for this but when i was creating my list i was worried i wouldn't have enough content (laughs) to participate so i ended up jumping onto twitter and asking people for their recommendations and a bunch of people ended up responding to me about different iconic tv episodes so although i ended up going with the oc because it's the one that i tend to remember i did waffle back and forth about whether or not to highlight the Buffy Christmas episode. I was surprised you didn't. And I looked at your list and there was no Buffy. I was like, is Joe feeling okay? I did give it some serious thought. But in truth, the episode is more about Angel, who's a 200-year-old vampire. So that's that's actually <laughs> like a, a, what is multiple centuries? That's like the opposite of YA. <laughs> <laughs> it's old A. Old A, yeah. So we're, we're still focusing on that Y. So... Uh, <laughs> But one of the ones that I that I did get a lot of mentions for, so some people said Dawson's Creek, a couple of people mentioned 90210, and the one that I thought deserved a good shout-out because I do sometimes feel like people have forgotten about it is the beloved classic My So-Called Life with Claire Danes. So this is a one-season wonder. It's the kind of television show, it's so typically 90s in the way that it's not particularly extravagant it's very realist it's incredibly well acted and it's deeply and profoundly moving it regularly shows up on lists of classic tv shows but because it was poorly rated and it was back in the day when shows didn't get saved like if you didn't have the numbers you were canceled so it unfortunately only lasted for a couple of episodes but there is a christmas episode and it features the bisexual character ricky getting canceled kicked out of his house by an abusive uncle because of his sexuality, which for a show in 1994 is really groundbreaking. The episode is hardcore emotional. So if you're looking for those Christmas tears, this is a good candidate. And it essentially focuses on him as well as Claire Danes as Angela, The she takes him in during the holiday season. And it's just, it's a really great episode of television. It encapsulates my so-called life very nicely, but it's also just an opportunity to plug the show and recommend that people should really check it out if they haven't. If you were a fan of Freaks and Geeks, I think, or Undeclared, those sort of other mm-hmm. single season, these magical single seasons of television that probably yeah. could not have existed in any other moment in time if you like that kind of humor tinged with the seriousness of growing up my so-called life is definitely in that same ballpark i would say yeah those are great comparisons too people should check out those shows as well we should do a reflection on going the reverse we've talked about doing fan casts of books we should like which series do we wish we could go back into the universe through YA literature. Oh my gosh. And that's actually very timely considering how many shows get resuscitated by either Netflix or Hulu or any of these new streaming sites where they're looking at the back catalog and saying, hmm, what do we want a reunion of or what do we want a limited series on? Some of these, I almost wonder whether or not there's an opportunity for them to get a second lease on life. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. It'd be interesting to see what any one of those series looked like now. But I think you're right that the sort of Netflix limited series streaming only kind of platform is probably where they would most likely find a home. Undoubtedly, yeah. 
All right. Well, that's all our picks for for the holiday season, folks. Hopefully you will pick up some of these, check them out. We're going to be back next week for some looking ahead to 2019 kind of forecasting what we're looking forward to. Yeah, it should be interesting. I think we've we're going to do it in a similar format to this where we've each got a couple of picks, but got to say doing the research 2019's looking pretty good. I can say it was actually hard to narrow down my picks and I I think that every year gets more robust for a young adult. I often wonder when we're going to hit the edge of the bubble, you know, because it always seemed like after the Hunger Games, we were going to hit a dip. And then it seemed like, I don't know, maybe after the realist rebirth with Fault in Our Stars, we're going to hit a dip, but it doesn't seem to be coming. And again, it's these streaming platforms are where a lot of them, a lot of the work is coming from. That's true. All right. So keep an eye out next week. uh, We're going to be releasing our 2019 forecast predictions, most excited episode. And until then, I'll see you on the page and I'll see you on the screen. Ho, ho, ho.